How often when watching TV or a film do you find yourself turning on subtitles to help deal with understanding the dialogue like this? Keep a feel, they'll come out of the sun. Found it, Lumber Clock. Want to say that, are you right? Want to put a look. Did you catch that? Just a snippet of uh, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Netflix recently revealed 40% of its users regularly turn on subtitles, while 2021 research from a British charity found four in five adolescent viewers often use subtitles, even if they weren't hard of hearing. Austin Olivia Kendrick is a Hollywood-based dialogue editor who's worked on a range of TV and film projects. Welcome to Breakfast. Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's really cool to be here. Are we all developing hearing issues or is it actually harder to hear film and TV shows now? (laughs) I can assure you, you are not developing any hearing issues. This is the common I this is the question I most commonly get asked first whenever people find out that I work in film sound, specifically when they find out I work with dialogue. Um, It's a combination of factors both on the creative side of things as well as the technical side of things that has kind of led to this evolution of dialogue being difficult to hear. How has the evolution in sound recording created more mumbly performances from actors? Oh, goodness. So back in Back in the day when films were moving from uh, being silent into the talkies, um, that was a huge transition for Hollywood and sound recording was at was pretty primitive at the time. Um, microphones were really huge and had to stay in one spot. So frequently um, when actors were being recorded, when they were being filmed, they were specifically instructed to stand in one spot to point their mouths towards where the microphone was hanging above their head and stay there and project towards that microphone. Um, That allowed for a clear, concise performance. Um, As microphones have evolved over the years, as the technology has evolved, this has meant that microphones can get smaller and more mobile. Nowadays, whenever I receive dialogue that's been recorded on set, I usually have two boom microphones, which are on poles that can follow the actors as they move. But then also small lavalier microphones that get hidden in their clothing. This has allowed the actors to have a much more free performance, much more naturalistic performance. But because of that, it leads to this speech pattern that can tend more towards the natural and can end up being a bit more mumbly. Um, On top of that, because they are now moving, there's also an element of, you know, you get clothing rustle, you get clicks and pops, you get background noise that has now been factored in. And it's my job that I'm the one who goes in and cleans all that up so you can actually hear the actors speaking. You have to clean it up. Okay, just want to play an example of how film audio used to sound. 80 years Mm -hmm. ago, director Howard Hawke tried to break the record for the fastest film dialogue with his Cary Grant film, His Girl Friday. Oh, you will, eh? You keep that door closed and don't let anybody in or out. Now, we'll see about this. Come on, Pinky, give him the third degree. Yeah, I'm talking. You got Williams, Pinky. Yes. Now, look here, Johnson. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Are you going to talk or aren't you? Well, what do you want me to say? What do you know about Williams? It's remarkably quick, but it's pretty clear. Like, I don't need any subtitles for that. Do you wish actors still spoke like that nowadays? It's funny because that transatlantic accent was so prevalent 
back in that era of filmmaking. You know, um, that kind of served a dual purpose. Um, one, that was just kind of the popular dialect amongst the kind of upper class in America. But it also helped with the way that the microphones were recording. Remember how I mentioned that microphones were very primitive back then? Um, they could not really record. They, they couldn't quite capture that lower end of the act voices. So the myth that transatlantic accent really kind of has that nasally kind of punch to it. It pushes the voice through the no through the nose and through the uh, the um, nasal kind of cavities. And that makes that kind of pushes more of the mid range of the voice. Um, and so that was kind of them adopting that speech pattern and that accent was actually helping the microphones to to pick up everything because that's all the microphones could do at the time. So given it's your job to deal with this audio once it comes to you, how often do people say to you, can't you just turn the volume up in post? Oh my gosh, if I had a nickel, if I had a nickel for every time somebody just said that to me, oh, I could retire at 26. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's something that, um, you know, is a very valid question, especially when you are not familiar with this field, um, when you don't work in sound editing or mixing. Um, when it comes to mixing, we are very careful to try to preserve something called dynamic range. And dynamic range refers to the range between your quietest sound in the mix versus your loudest sound in the mix. And that we have to preserve that in order to create a sense of scale to the ear. You know, if your dialogue is going to sound just as loud as an explosion or a jet engine going off, then all of a sudden that that explosion, that jet engine isn't going to have the same punch. It isn't going to feel as big as it looks on screen. Um, and when it comes to, you know, volume levels, you can only go so loud, you know? If you try to push that loudest thing even louder, you risk distortion, you risk blowing out speakers. Um, so really the only option if you wanna widen that dynamic range is to push down, to push those quieter sounds even quieter. Do you ever turn on subtitles when you watch television? I do. Um, after spending my days, you know, at work, really kind of critically analyzing and picking apart dialogue for, you know, eight to 10 hours every day, it's nice to just turn that part of my brain off, frankly, and enjoy uh, whatever I'm watching for fun. You've got about 50,000 followers on TikTok where you explain what you do. Why do you think people are so interested in your job? I think it's an area of film that doesn't get talked about very often. You know, um, I've talked to people who didn't even know that my field existed. Like I've met people who genuinely thought that everything you hear in a film is just recorded on set. And that could not be further from the truth. About 90 to 95% of what you hear in a film is added after the fact. Um, and so kind of getting to peel back the curtain on that and give people a glimpse of how much thought and creativity and storytelling goes into this field, you know, it's it's something that really not a lot of people have done before. And, you know, it's an honor to get to do that and share this this field, this art form that I really sincerely love and and share it with the world, I suppose. Uh, sound. Look, we're in the world of sound right here. Sound is really important uh, and and powerful. Do mm -hmm. you, is this here to stay 
or do you would you like to see actors or the other side of the business start thinking more about this? I think that I think, hmm, you know, I I can't definitively say in the super long term in the way of decades. I don't think it's going to be something that changes in the next few years. Um, I mentioned that kind of, you know, wide dynamic range, you know, that is something that is that studios push for, Um, even if the mixers don't necessarily want to to do that. A a lot of the um, studios have this idea that that kind of wide dynamic range, that wide sound, it means that you are going to get a cinematic sound. It makes it feel big like a movie. So even if you know, it's something that is going to a streaming platform, they're going to encourage for that wider mix, for that thing that is really meant and designed to be listened in a theater, even if they know it's going to be primarily listened to at home, on home speakers, that is way different than listening to it in a theater. You know, Mm. it's that, that concept, that idea of, well, it has to sound big in order for it to feel like a movie. So I don't know how long it's going to be till we can kind of let go of that notion. But until we do, it's here to stay. Austin, lovely to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Austin Olivia Kendrick is a Hollywood-based dialogue editor who's worked on a range of TV and film projects. You're listening to Breakfast. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations. Live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.